0: On 9-11-2001, I was sitting at home watching news coverage or later in the day heading to school like nothing happened. As traumatic as it was, it didn't disrupt my schedule too much since I was living in Alabama at the time, several hundred miles away from everything that was actually happening. My boss, Marcus Brown, however, wasn't quite in the middle of everything, but he was definitely adjacent to it. This is the Greatest Story Ever podcast. There comes a time when all the cosmic tumblers have clicked into place And the universe opens itself up for a few seconds to show you what's possible.
1: With Keith Conrad. You know, everything is not an anecdote. You have to discriminate. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener.
0: One person I'd like to talk to is Harry Harvey, an 80-year-old man from England. Harry went missing after becoming separated from his hiking partner during a hailstorm. Police and Royal Air Force personnel and Mountain rescue workers conducted a four-day search of the area to locate the elderly hiker. The search was called off, however, when Harry showed up during a press conference planned by his family and rescuers to spread the word of his disappearance. Harry told the gathered friends, family, and media that he just camped out for three days using the equipment he had on him. What do you think he did with all his free time during a completely unplanned three-night camping trip? I hope he had some playing cards or something. I also hope you'll rate and review this podcast on the podcatcher of your choice and help more people find the show. My guest today is a bigwig in Chicago media and my boss at my day job, Marcus Brown. Thanks so much for joining me. Keith, it's good to be here with you. Now, I don't actually have uh, a a 9-11 story that is in any way interesting, although although it is a little chuckle worthy because uh, I was still in college at the time. I was working in radio. But on 9/11, uh, Tuesday happened to be my day off at the time, so I wasn't working that day. Uh, I was supposed to go into class, and uh, the we got yelled at by the professor, who is literally the nicest guy on the planet. But it's the only time any of us ever saw him got angry, and I, I get angry. And I think it's the only time he literally in his life has ever gotten angry because we were in a computer lab. And so naturally everybody knew what was going on. So they're like surfing the web, trying to uh, trying to find out the latest. And he's upset because no one's paying attention because he had no idea what was going on.
1: Well, Keith, so, the part of that that, that's, that sticks out to me as I thought back about you know 9-11, you know, 19 years ago, was what was the internet like in 2001, right? Because we kind of take it for granted that the internet is what it is today with social media and everything. But in 2001
0: well know, I think for, for one thing if, if you were a radio station uh, in 2001 and your website didn't have an audio clip that played whenever your website loaded, you were considered a troglodyte like that yeah. was that was the big thing. We're gonna play like a, a station jingle when when you when someone logs onto our website
1: that, that was great too. People love when you load the website and you had your speakers turned up too loud and then it would just blare you know, the station jingle, good stuff.
0: Yeah, that and having, having random GIFs around, although I, I don't even know, that may have been before they were actually called GIFs, but uh, animated images of some kind were usually on there too.
1: As long as it was, as it was flashing in some way, I was yeah. down with it back in 2001. That was my jam.
0: I, I will say that, um, you know, my former colleague at, uh, at WGN Radio, Andrea Darlis, uh, back when I was a an intern in, in OTT 2, you know, like, I think about six months after nine eleven. I was talking to her about what it was like covering nine eleven, and uh, I was very amused by the fact that she said that they sent the intern to go cover the evacuation at Sears Tower. Wow! So, like, there's what there's a ta- there's a building in the city that uh, they think might be a target. Let's send the intern.
1: Well, there you go. That that shows you exactly the level uh, that uh, WGN held their interns at at that time.
0: Exactly. And Robert, I, either, you could look at it, it, it two ways. Say, though, too, either, I think. Yeah, I, I, you can look at it two ways. Either they trusted the intern to cover what was probably the biggest story uh, of anybody's life, or they thought the intern was uh, somewhat disposable.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, our insurance policy would cover this. Don't worry about it. Just go over there to the the Sears Tower. What's the worst that could happen? You'll be fine.
0: But, but you were actually, you know, you certainly like, let, let's not do some sort of like stolen Valor thing here. It's not like you were in the middle of 9-11, but you were far closer than, than uh, the average person.
1: Well, it's so funny because, you know, over the years, as people have, have asked me about 9-11 and we all kind of have that, you know, where were you on 9-11 story? It's, it's our generation's version of, you know, where were you when JFK was shot? So, you know, over the years, people talk about where they were on 9-11 and I always say, oh, I was in, I was in DC. And immediately everybody assumes that, you know, I was like on the roof of the Pentagon or something, or I'm pulling people out of the Potomac or I'm, you know, somehow right there in the middle of it, which isn't true, but that's kind of the assumption people make when you tell them, you know, oh, it's like, oh, I was in New York on 9-11. Well, were you in the tower? Well, no, it's a big city. But yeah, so I was I was actually in, in Washington, D.C. Um, on the morning of, uh, of 9-11.
0: And, um, what, like, what, what was the first, like, did, did you see what was coming out of New York and then things started happening in, in DC or how did that all play out?
1: Well, it was weird because at the time I was working, my office was actually across the river over, uh, in Arlington, Virginia in an area called Roslyn, which is right across the river, right across kind of from where the Pentagon is. And so typically most mornings I was, I was living in Baltimore and so most days I would take their version of like a commuter train from Baltimore into uh, Union Station in D.C., and then I would hop on um, their metro and it would take me out to Virginia. That was kind of my normal my normal commute. So I really didn't even like get above ground until I got to the, the metro station in Virginia. But on this morning, uh, it was a Tuesday morning, as people will recall, For some reason on this morning, I was scheduled to go cover a press conference. There was a press conference in one of the uh, House office buildings. And so folks who know Capitol Hill, you know, you're all probably aware of, you know, the Capitol building, obviously. But then, Mm -hmm. um, you know, where the offices for each senator and, and representative are in these individual office buildings that are kind of all around Capitol Hill. And there's, I don't know, five or six of them. And, and then, they have
0: a cool little uh, train system just for the hoity-toity uh, congressmen. That's there. right. They've got a,
1: a cool little separate subway system only for the uh, the elites. Yes. Um, and so, in each of these office buildings, this is oftentimes when you're watching C-SPAN. For those of you that um, have a life where you are watching C-SPAN, and if you are, I'm sorry, um, but if you watch C-SPAN, a lot of times the hearings that you'll see, I'm um, not like the larger hearings, but a lot of the hearings you'll see are, you know, coming, they're originating from a hearing room in one of these, one of these congressional office buildings. It's right there in Capitol Hill. So anyway, on this morning, I was supposed to go cover a press conference. that was like, you know, an 830 on Tuesday morning press conference. And I, I think the, the subject was something to do with um, slavery in the Sudan of all things. Um, and it was like an 830 press conference. And so I, I took the train and I got off at Union Station, which is very close to Capitol Hill. And uh, walked from Union Station uh, over to uh, Capitol Hill. And again, it was eight o'clock on a Tuesday morning, you know, in the middle of September. Really beautiful day um, in D.C. Sunny, warm, you know, felt very summer-like. Uh, so I walked over to the uh, the house office building where I was supposed to go to this press conference. And I remember walking into the room where the uh, they were supposed to hold this event. And they had televisions on in the room. And I, when I walked in, it was shortly after the first plane hit the tower, like within minutes. And this was on TV. And at that point, you know, as you recall, most people had no idea what was going on. Um, right. You know, they weren't sure what was happening. Was the building just on fire? Had something struck the building?
0: I don't because an airplane had in a, in a really foggy day, an airplane had once hit the, uh, the Empire State Building. So when there's only one plane, e- even though it was a really clear day. You could see it somehow being an accident,
1: right? And there was a lot of confusion at that point because most people just were, you know. Nowadays, we've got all this history and we we could, you know, make assumptions. But back then, I mean, it was like, wow, this is kind of weird. It's an accident or something's going on. But at that point, it wasn't. People had not had not gotten to the point yet where they kind of put two and two together and realized this was something bigger than than just an accident. So I remember standing in the room and all the TVs were on. And we're all kind of standing around because the people that had organized this press conference were like, "Do we continue? Do we do a press conference? Um, you know, do we want to wait? What's what's going on?" So we just kind of stood around for a while, um, and then and I
0: picture you know, like in my situation where the uh, the professor didn't know what was happening and got all angry. I, I picture like the congressperson coming in having not seen the news reports and then mad at you for you know, like looking at your phone. <laughs> right? Like, why why aren't you paying attention to me?
1: Well, and again, so that, that's an interesting reference because, you know, again, 2001, nobody had smartphones, right? You know, right. at the yeah. best, you had some kind of a flip phone that maybe had a a little bit of a display that you could do texting, but nobody had, you know, a, a smartphone, didn't exist yet. Uh, at the most, you had like, you know, a, a texting type of a phone. And even that, nobody was using that kind of as a, a day-to-day thing. Um, so people just kind of stood around and literally cable television was the way people got immediate news that probably in in broadcast radio, right? Um, the immediacy was there. So we're all just kind of standing around watching, you know, CNN or Fox or whatever network was on the on the television, just kind of going, "What's going on? What do we do? You know, what's what's the story here?" And people weren't freaking out at that point. You didn't get that sense that people were panicking, but there was definitely some concern. And then mm-hmm. shortly thereafter, the second plane hit the tower, and I think that was the point where everyone kind of realized, oh man, this is, this is bigger than, you know, than, than just an accident. Something's going on here. And so it was at that point, kind of shortly after the second plane hit, that's when kind of all hell began to break loose on Capitol Hill. And I remember, you know, all of a sudden somebody in the room said, evacuate the building, everybody out of the building, which, you know, when you're (laughs) sitting there in Capitol Hill, and somebody says, you know,
0: evacuate the building. Yeah, that's not something you expect to hear much there.
1: Right. I mean, the, the Capitol Hill police are, you know, they're, that's a serious police force. They're not just like a rent of cops Like they're really, you know, a security force for, you know, for Congress and for the, the buildings. Um, and they, all of a sudden, it, it got real, real fast. And so everybody starts to exit the building. And I remember as, as people were leaving the building, going you know, down the front steps and out into the to the mall area, Like all of a sudden, all these Capitol Hill police, who normally just kind of walk around looking like regular cops, all of a sudden they're carrying like, you know, submachine guns or like long guns. And it's like, whoa, where did this come from all of a sudden? So, you know, heavy, heavy arms all of a sudden appear and they just start locking down all the buildings. And I remember I was going to walk then from whatever office building I was at on Capitol Hill and go pick up the metro further down the mall. And so I'm kind of walking down the mall and like every government building, you know, in that part of DC, they're just start locking it down and you start to see like the show of force of Capitol Hill police officers with guns just kind of guarding every single building and I was like, "Whoa, this is this is getting serious. Like this is, you know, this is crazy." And you know, in that moment, that's kind of when you know all of the the workforce within you know, DC, everyone kind of got the word, it's time to get out of town, right? Because everybody just started, you know, they're watching TV, they're getting the alerts, or someone's telling them, get out of DC. And so you all of a sudden had like this mass exodus at like nine o'clock on a Tuesday morning. If people just, you know, cars, walking, bikes, just leaving town any way they can.
0: Which literally, you know, at that time of day, they just got to work. Yeah. Oh, right. and now right. they're immediately, there's this mass exodus.
1: Yeah. It was, it was weird. And so I'm like, well, I'm going to hop on the subway, the Metro there in DC, and I'll go over to my office, which is in Virginia and, you know, check in, see what's going on. Because at that time I was producing a radio show and the show didn't start until I think uh, two o'clock in the afternoon. So, and this was nine o'clock in the morning. I'm like, I got five hours. I'll go back to the office. We'll get ready for the show. Obviously whatever is happening today is, you know, it's part of the part of the show. Um, and just kind of make my way over there. Okay, fine. So I'm walking down the mall, and I remember looking kind of towards the direction of where the Pentagon was. Um, and I and again, not now in hindsight, I you can put, you know, the pieces together and say, Oh, that's where the Pentagon was. But at the time it was just, oh, I see smoke kind of rising up in the sky in that direction. And it didn't seem totally weird. I mean, obviously when you see something, you know, smoke in the sky and something's on fire, you might take note of it, but In my mind, I didn't put these, you know, these two things together, you know, like, oh, I just watched this thing on TV from New York. And now I'm seeing smoke, you know, over the Potomac. Eh, Not, you know, I don't, I don't put the two things together. So I'm walking down uh, to the subway station. I get on the Metro and the Metro is just packed because everyone at that point is trying to decide what they're going to do. Am I going home? Am I going into the office? It was still kind of the late morning rush hour. So you've got people kind of going all directions. And remember, and this just kind of shows you the difference between 2001 and 2020, I get onto this crowded Metro car and everyone's just kind of packed in. And I know, you know, a tiny bit of what's going on, right? Planes hit buildings, buildings are kind of starting to collapse. That's at the extent of what I know at that point. And, and it's
0: all in New York at that point.
1: It's all in New York. Yeah. The the Pentagon part hadn't quite developed yet. So I'm, st- I'm on this crowded uh, Metro car and this guy turns to me who clearly knows nothing of what's happened, right? He's completely out of the loop. And he goes, what's going on? What's, what's, what's happening? And I kind of explained to him, you know, the little bit that I know. And his reaction was kind of like, oh, huh. And that was like the extent of it. it kind of odd. That was no- well, and it's
0: kind of like, that's kind of like my experience in, in Alabama, because, uh, you know, the, the two planes hit the world trade center, uh, in New York. And I just went on with my day because I'm like, that was in New York. I'm in Alabama, no matter how big this thing is, they're probably not attacking Redstone Arsenal in Alabama. So I'm I'm just going to go on with my day. So that was kind of the same thing.
1: Yeah. And and the other thing that's kind of weird, again, in hindsight, is, you know, the subway in D.C., the metro, was still running. Like, it was still fully operational that entire day. They never shut down, you know, the subway, which, again, seems kind of weird to me looking back on it, because, you know, one of the big fears, obviously, when you've got, hijacked airplanes hitting buildings was that somehow this is kind of an attack using transportation, right? We're going to find a way to use our transportation system. Yeah. And obviously in subsequent years, there were terror attacks on, you know, on subways in other parts of the world. So just in hindsight, I go, wow, that's weird. They, they, they kept the, they kept the, uh, the subway running. So I'm on this, sub, on, the, on the subway, on the Metro, and it takes me to my office, which again is over in Virginia. And, and again, at this time, you know, there's no smartphones. So I've got this flip phone that can do like, you know, four lines of texting or four lines of, of, of any kind of text with like really limited internet data options. Um, and nobody was really using it for that at the time. But I remember I got out of the, uh, the, the subway station. And just as a, as a side note, the, the subway station, the metro station in Roslyn, Virginia, has like one of the tallest escalators anywhere in the world. Like it takes forever to go up this escalator to get out of the subway station. It's I don't know how many stories, you know, deep it is, but it's, it's really, really long. And so the whole time I'm kind of waiting to get out of this, the subway station. I'm like, okay, well we'll get, get out of here and go check in at the office and see what's going on. And so finally I get out of the, uh, the subway station and I look at my phone and I had really limited access to like news and stuff on my phone. So I try to like, you know, I'm trying to scroll through like, you know, the AP Newswire they offered on my, on my cell service or whatever, or Reuters or something, you know, and again, you get like four lines of text. And I remember seeing a story that was like, you know, car bomb at the state department. And I was like, what, what, what's going on? And like, and if you remember, like back on that day, in those first few hours, there was like all kinds of misinformation about what was happening and where Mm -hmm. it was happening, all kinds of rumors about, you know, this thing happened, a bomb went off over here, this thing exploded. And there was just kind of the fog of war um, at a time when, again, you know, there, there wasn't the same level of immediacy with our news delivery. We didn't have Twitter, you know, we didn't have push notifications. We had really limited texting. And so there was just kind of this weird kind of, um, you know, situation where people just didn't have a lot of information and it was just bizarre, so I'm like, wow, this is really getting crazy. So I go to my office, it's a couple blocks from the from the metro station, and I get in. And, and I was working at a uh, a radio station or kind of a radio network that had like a network news division. And I remember walking into the newsroom. And again, it's you know 9:30, 10 o'clock on 9-11. And I mean, any kind of cliche movie scene you could imagine of a newsroom where People are just like running around, throwing paper up in the air. You know, (laughs) losing their minds. That's what was happening. Every TV's on a different cable network. Everyone's got the you know the live shot of the buildings, which at this point had begun to collapse. Um, And finally, at that point, they've got the uh, the footage, the live footage from the Pentagon that had begun to to develop. And so, again, it's just kind of all hell breaking loose all at once. and it was, it was kind of surreal because it was kind of like you walked into a movie scene and, you know, people were reacting the way you might expect them to react in the middle of what was, you know, the biggest news story of every single person in that room's lifetime. Like nobody had lived through something quite like this ever before. And again, we were in a building that was you know just across the river from the Pentagon. So we're not, we're not more than like a mile or two away from the Pentagon at that point. And so it's really, really close. Like you can see the smoke from the Pentagon right from the office. Um, And so it was just, it was really, really weird. And that was kind of the beginning of that whole day where, you know, everyone's kind of scrambling to figure out how do we talk about it? How do we cover it? What's going on? You know, it was kind of watching history unfold in real time. And again, with 20, almost 20 years of hindsight, you can kind of put the pieces together little by little and go, okay, this is kind of how this, this unfolded. But at the time it was you know it was kind of crazy.
0: Now were the people who were in the office at the time were they actually able to see the uh, the crash at the Pentagon or was the building not positioned in a way where that that was possible? Yeah,
1: we weren't we weren't so close that you could see the building itself but you were certainly close enough to see the smoke that was rising from the fires at the at the Pentagon. Um, mm-hmm. and at that point we knew it was going on and so we recognized oh this is you know this is really really close. But what's you know what's even weirder about it is I think about it is that in that period of time that I was on the metro going from Capitol Hill over to to Roslyn and if I had stayed above ground and kind of kept walking that direction I very likely would have seen the plane that hit the Pentagon kind of you know as it was inbound because that's kind of the direction I was walking. And, you know, people tell stories about, they were, you know, on that day when they were driving into work in D.C. and they actually saw the plane as, as it kind of came across the Potomac there. So I, I very well, if I had not jumped on the metro and gone to my office, could very well have, have seen that if I just waited a few more minutes.
0: And then, of course, there's the other people who say there was no plane.
1: <laughs> well, yes, exactly. Uh, yeah, well, we'll leave that one alone. But yeah, there was, there was <laughs> defi- definitely an airplane.
0: Yeah. Um, so like, I, I, I know for me, uh, you know, I was, like I said, I was working in, in radio at the time. Uh, I think that the moment that when I really knew, like you said, this is the biggest story of anybody's lifetime was uh, when I woke up the next day. Cause you know, I, like everybody, I think I was watching news coverage, you know, like well into the night, but when I woke up the next day, the the teeny proper top 40 station was actually still doing uh, two news updates an hour at like 5 a.m. And I'm like, yeah, oh, that, okay. yeah, this is pretty serious.
1: Well, that's what's so weird, too, because, OK, so then after I get to the office and basically the office is like, hey, if you're you know, if you're a non-essential employee, get out of here. Like at that point, they really believed that like the whole city was potentially, you know, under threat of attack. So they said, go home. Well, I lived in Baltimore and by like 11 o'clock or noon, when they kind of, you know, dismissed everyone to go home, the commuter train that runs between DC and Baltimore, they shut it down, right? There's no, there were no commuter trains running all all that afternoon. Again, part of, part of this precautionary measure of like, hey, we're shutting everything down. We don't know what's going to happen next. So, you know, whatever. And so, like, I'm stuck in DC. Like, I had no way to get... Uh, back to Baltimore, at least for a while. Because
0: again, in the dark ages, there's no Uber.
1: Right. Oh, there was no Uber. And actually, it was funny. I did at one point, uh, I was like, well, maybe I'll just call uh, call a cab. Because my thought was, well, maybe if I can get from DC to uh, BWI Airport, which is kind of halfway between Baltimore and DC, roughly. um, If I could get a cab to uh, BWI, there is a light rail that runs from, uh, BWI kind of to the neighborhood I lived in in Baltimore. Like I'm trying to piece together, um, you know, public transportation options to get home. But so I call up a cab company and say, Hey, you know, I'm at this, uh, at that point I I'd, I'd hopped on a Metro. Like I got to the furthest Metro station I possibly could to the edge of the beltway in DC to try to get, to get, uh, to the airport. I said, Hey, can I, you know, can I get a cab from, uh, from, uh, I think it was new Carrollton Metro station to BWI. And like the the dispatcher at the cab company laughed. He's like, "There are no cabs going to BWI right now. Like they won't even let us within like you know miles of BWI." So I'm like, "Oh, oh yeah, that's a problem." I said, "Okay, understood." So then I'm like, "Well, um, how many people do I know that live in DC that might let me come like hang out at their house or their apartment or something for the after?" Because I'm just kind of stuck, you know, in the middle of all this. So it's funny because my my college roommate. Uh, actually at the time was living in DC and he was uh, working for a PR company. And um, I called him like, Hey man, are you home today? Cause I I'm stuck in DC. Uh, I can't get home. He's like, Oh yeah. He's like, come on over. So I went over to his apartment um, and literally spent like the entire afternoon of nine 11 with him watching cable news, watching, you know, all the coverage unfold for the, you know, the balance of the afternoon and like, to your point, every single TV and radio station, and, and again, today people don't understand this because it's, it's only happened like this one time, but every single channel was covering what was happening on 9-11. MTV, mm-hmm. Nickelodeon, um, I mean, every single you know cable network um, and every radio station. I mean, if you're doing music or you're doing talk or whatever, like everybody just flipped over to the breaking news, wall-to-wall coverage, and it was it was surreal because you kind of flip around on the dial trying to see what was going on. And all you saw, every channel was coverage. It was, it was just weird.
0: So I think uh, probably the, uh, maybe the most important uh, life lesson from your nine 11 experiences, always have an exit strategy for <laughs> wherever you are.
1: Well, yeah, cause it was so funny. So I, I spent the afternoon and really into the evening cause they, the trains weren't running uh, at the time. So I was kind of stuck. And I was fully prepared to like spend the night. I'm like, I'm going crash on your couch if I need to. Um, and then finally, around like, God, what time was it? It must have been like seven or eight o'clock in the evening. They started running the trains again, and I'm like, all right, well, I'm gonna go hop on a hop on the train and get home. And I remember, like, this is this is one of the, again, one of the more surreal moments. Like, you're walking down the streets of DC the evening of nine eleven, and like, it is totally silent. Completely empty. You know, mm-hmm. it, it was really, you know, you think about kind of the scenes you've seen in the last six months in some of the big cities um in the US during the pandemic, where there's just, you know, no traffic, no foot traffic, no cars, people aren't out. I mean, that's what it was in DC at a, at a day when that was completely made no sense. And the other weird thing, uh, and I don't know if this would ever happen again because we're living in a different time, but the Washington Post printed a special evening edition. Of the newspaper um, on nine eleven, because obviously there was this huge story, and you know, in two thousand and one, newspapers, you know, still would do things like that. They could, they would still go, oh, we got to, we got to print a special edition, because that's a way to get information out to people.
0: And I well, remember- first of all, you might want to explain uh, to our younger listeners what a newspaper is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, so yes, a dead tree, ink on dead tree that's thrown in yeah. your driveway every morning with news yeah. at least you know twelve to fifteen hours old. Which yeah. you know seems archaic nowadays, but um, but yeah, because I remember walking past you know newsstands and I bought I remember I bought the special edition of the Washington Post on nine eleven that had some of the earliest photos of the, you know of the towers and of the Pentagon because um, I'm like man this is you'll never see this again like this was so weird and then um, finally got home late that night like it was nine or ten o'clock at night when I got home and on the train going home again totally silent like nobody talking nothing it was completely like you know somber and and quiet um yeah it was it was weird it was a very very strange day
0: it was uh it was quiet on the train and it wasn't you know now it'd be quiet because everybody's just looking at the phone but uh, that that actually yeah, wasn't the case that then. That's the
1: thing like people were just sitting there like again you didn't have a phone you know maybe you were reading you know something but typically you know on those afternoon commuter trains out of dc it's it's pretty pretty lively. Um, but yeah, it was, and part of it was, it was the trains were, you know, half empty because a lot of folks had already gotten home or, you know, found other arrangements or whatever. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was weird. And then I just like the train stations were weird because there was kind of this sense of like, nobody quite knew how serious to take it. Like, is this a one-off thing or should we be ready for like an ongoing, sustained kind of heightened state of emergency for, you know, weeks or months to come? Um and that was that was I remember DC for a long time after that, for months and months and months. DC had a really different vibe to it because people were kind of living in that uncertainty of what's gonna happen next. I mean, you'll remember too, like, you know, not too long after that, we had the whole anthrax thing. Um, oh yeah in the fall yeah. of 01. Um, and that was, you know, partially coming out, you know, coming through DC. And so that was bizarre for people. Like, what's this? What's going on here? Is this like the next phase of whatever this terror attack is? Um, and that put folks on edge because, you know, people were getting getting their mail and trying to decide, like, do I open up the mail today and do I go through it? Or, you know, it was just really
0: weird. Really weird. And I'm not sure that it's uh, ever stopped being weird ever since.
1: True, true. Although I do think it's funny. I mean, you know, you talk about who we are 19 years removed from that and you have, you know, a whole generation of young people now, you know, that are in college that have no memory of 9-11, like none. And, you know, and they're living now through this new kind of weird time of a, of a pandemic where there's, you know, similar things that have happened in terms of kind of how people are are reacting. And it's a completely different. I mean, I really do wonder if on 9-11, if we'd had Twitter and Facebook and all the social media that we have now, <laughs> like it was it was weird enough then, but I can't even imagine today what that would be like to have kind of the instantaneous kind of clickbait uh, approach to news. If, you know, if that was happening in real time 19 years ago, because there was so much going on that people didn't understand. It was, it was weird, but to add the level of just the immediacy of social media would have been a whole different, whole different thing.
0: Yeah. I, uh, you know, we, we actually did kind of have something similar to that because, you know, that was back in the, the, uh, the instant messaging era. And so, you know, you probably had to, you, you were talking to like one person at a time, but you did kind of have that, that instant connection. Like I, I know I, I was talking to, uh, to a friend of mine, like in the evening on nine 11, I was talking to a friend of mine who was in college in California. And, uh, so it wasn't, wasn't quite like Twitter, but like they were in California and I was talking to them instantly about what was going on.
1: Right. But the difference I think too, is that it's one person like to your point, but also it wasn't mobile. Right. So you had right. to be like in yeah. your dorm room or, you know, at home or something. Um, because this, again, this was pre pre Wi-Fi, really, you know, there was no Wi-Fi, um, you know, no smartphones. Uh, so everything was was done kind of on this. You know, you, you had to be tied to a computer um, and your phone at that time was really just for calling people. And that seems weird now that people use their their cell phones to actually call people. But that's what it was. Um, so, yeah, they just the, the flow of information was so different And I don't think we fully appreciate or understand that, um, you know, looking back on it, how different things are today as compared to then.
0: Yeah, we had to go through the entire experience of 9-11 without a Trump tweet.
1: (laughs) Well, (laughs) that's true. Although I do remember him being on cable news on 9-11 and being like, why is this guy? I, I guess at the time he was known as being a, you know, a New York City real estate developer. Um,
0: buildings have fallen down. Here's a man who's paid for some buildings, right. Donald Trump. <laughs> right.
1: Well, and that was the weird thing, too, is that, like, you know, this has kind of become the hallmark of cable news now. But, like, you know, we have to find somebody we can get on, um, you know, get on TV to talk about this. And we find whatever loose connection we can that would qualify yeah. them to talk about it. So we put them on. And it was, again, it was amplified by the fact that you know, the terror attacks were happening in the two cities where American media, American news media is headquartered, New York and DC. And so, especially in New York, because New York, you know, was kind of, the whole city was kind of losing its mind, but just getting people on the air and getting them from wherever they were to the, you know, to the studio was a challenge. And so I remember you had a lot of people doing reports, literally doing reports over their cell phones, because they just couldn't get a camera crew down the street to a location because the streets were blocked off and there was traffic and there was chaos. And so it really, again, you know, I think in in 2020, we take for granted sometimes what it takes to do that kind of news coverage. Um, And in 2001, even though we were kind of entering into an internet age we're kind of on the on the threshold of you know of this new digital age we weren't quite there yet so things like newspapers and and television were still so much more prominent than they would be now i mean like i can't imagine today that if 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 this were to happen or something like it were to happen that they'd be printing a special evening edition of you know the washington post or something it just wouldn't happen they wouldn't they go wait a minute it's all on our website, right? Like we're, we're posting the stories on the website. We don't need to print a whole special edition. Who's going to read it,
0: right? They could print out leaflets that say, go to our website.
1: Right. Or they would just send out like, you know, you know, text messages or push notifications or, you know, it's on our, our Facebook page. Like people would not think, oh, I want to find out what happened today. Thank goodness. There's a copy of the evening edition of the paper that I can pick up and read about it. Like they, nobody thinks that way, but Nineteen years ago, it still seemed like a good idea.
0: Yeah, so there was uh, there was chaos. Uh, you couldn't get anywhere, and uh, cities were locked down completely. I I don't know that anybody's going to be able to identify with with your story, <laughs> Marcus. I don't know that there's a frame of reference that people can can apply to this story.
1: Well, and that's the weird thing too. Is it like you know, for a day, everybody was kind of like paralyzed, and then it became kind of this national kind of grieving process where for the next week, um, you know, as, as people kind of, kind of came to, t- came to terms with what had happened, there was kind of this collective. And again, this people always point back to this. Like we were never more unified as a country um, than we were, you know, on nine 11 and the, and then the weeks that came after that. And that really was true. Like I can remember like, you know, that Friday night. So three days later, remember we went out to dinner and it was, I th- I think that was the night that, And again, my memory on this one's a little bit hazy, but there was like a national like um, fundraising concert telethon on TV, right? Where like, again, every network was carrying, you know, all these artists who were going to perform to raise money for 9-11 victims. And I remember Mm -hmm. every TV in the restaurant and the bar was showing this. And then I remember just walking down the streets of Baltimore and like people were just kind of sitting out on their front porches or on the corners, just like hanging out. But like not like in a loud, obnoxious kind of party kind of way and more of just like a, hey, we want to be able to see other people and see our neighbors and have some kind of weird, um, you know, personal connection to people in this moment of like like national grief. And it was just unusual, right? Because you don't typically see that kind of thing. Um, But that that was the vibe that was going around for a while. And I remember, I don't think it was that same weekend, but it was a week or so later maybe. My wife and I went to um, a shopping mall, kind of in suburban Baltimore. And this mall, for whatever reason, to like get to the parking, there was like a roundabout, right, where you have to kind of go through the roundabout and then out the other side to go to the parking lot.
0: Oh, in swanky DC with with roundabout.
1: (laughs) Yes, all these these European uh, traffic control measures. Um, And so I remember we were going to the parking lot, and there was just a guy standing in the middle of the roundabout, just holding an American flag, not waving it, not using it as like a a political prop like you see now at like, you know, rallies or whatever, just a guy kind of just standing there holding an American flag in the middle of this roundabout just for no other reason than he just had like this weird impulse to be patriotic in that moment and just stood there like all afternoon with an American flag. And I was like, that's again... If you saw that today, you would immediately assign some kind of political motive to him. Oh, he must be a Trump supporter or oh, he's, you know, rallying for this cause or whatever. But like in that moment, it was like, oh, cool, man. That guy's patriotic, like, you know, USA. And nobody judged him. Nobody thought it was weird. It was totally like acceptable and normal. But I don't think that would ever that wouldn't fly in 2020
0: but not only 2020 but about 3 weeks later there was a midterm election to uh to start cranking up for so it probably it, it didn't last as long as people think it did. Well,
1: but again, it, there wasn't an election though. That was 2001. That was an off year. So, you know, that that whole period of time but it was
0: it was late 2001 and and uh you know, they would have certainly been uh beginning campaigning.
1: Yeah, way my recollection of it was things didn't start to get back to normal until like January of 02. Cause I went to New York city for Christmas that right. year. My wife and I went to New York city for Christmas. Cause we wanted, we, we were living in Baltimore. We figured it's maybe our one chance to go to New York at Christmas time. And, you know, certainly there was, you know, that year in particular was, was meaningful. So we went up and we saw ground zero and, and, you know, kind of did the New York Christmas thing. And even then, man, like that was, you know, three months later, it was, people were still very united, very like, hey, we're here to support each other. We're here to support New York City. You know, there was a, a real kind of unity feeling going on. But yeah, to your point, it didn't last long. And certainly once we started getting into wars and, and invading countries, all that kind of went out the window.
0: Yeah, it turns out everybody can agree they don't like terrorists uh, blowing up buildings with airplanes. After that, there's some disagreement
1: Yeah, that may be the one thing that, that at least at that point, that unified us. I'm not even sure today we could find consensus on that. You know, oh, well, maybe that building deserved to be blown up, huh? I don't know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, there's a cheerful note to end things on. (laughs) Uh, Thanks so much for sharing your story, Marcus. Sure, my pleasure. If you have a crazy life experience to share, be sure to email me at greateststoryeverpodcast at gmail.com.